0: Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts podcast. It's episode sixty-one. Today on our show, Josh Huser.
1: We put forty-something thousand people through the park in four days. Destroyed the park, mm-hmm.
0: but it was—it
1: was people were forced to kind of break bread and have an experience together because the park was so crowded. You just kind of had to sit and hey, got an extra drink, got it, you know, and, and have
0: a really good experience. Josh got the party started in college, literally. He worked his way through school renting out area bars and clubs on off days and filling them with the young people. Then he opened his own bars, and in 2009 he started Agar, an agency that helps create experiences around brands. He also helped develop Luminosity and Blink. He'll talk about that too. Be sure to listen for the promo code at the end of the episode. As always, you can use that to save 20% on your next Cincy Shirts or OldSchoolShirts.com order. Now let's experience Josh User.
2: (laughs) Cincinnati. She came down from Cincinnati. Just maybe think of me once in a while. I'm at cincyshirts.com in Cincinnati. What's going on with Blink this year? Do you
3: guys, are you guys need merch again? Is that something we should be looking at? Or you got somebody?
1: I know they're looking. I know they've seen some merch designs. I don't know that we've actually looked at how that's going to get executed or produced. So, but they have a whole. I know we've already sket. Scat- they've already got like renderings of like what they want. It's just a matter of who's going to produce it and getting sell it. it done. Right. Yeah. On. But all right things we didn't do very well last year. You know, merchandising. You know, hotels. Um, all of that. I mean, I think is. Well, no one knew. It was
3: unknown. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> what I was going to say. Like, how could you even know? I mean, we went into it just like, here's some stuff, and you know, we sold through it. Yeah, Great. i mean, You
2: know, I don't think anybody was ready for what happened. We were. Uh, I what do say? We were. Oh, we knew what we had. Oh, you knew it. Yeah. Did you really? Yeah,
1: we did. I think we we knew we didn't think it would come on Thursday. <laughs> we thought we would get, you know, Friday would build, Saturday would be huge, and Sunday would have been bigger than it actually was. And actually, when we looked out on the parade Thursday, and we were like, "Whoa, they got it!" Like that was the thing. Like people got it. Yeah. And then we kind of hit thursday friday saturday sunday was still amazing but we thought it would have been just build 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 because it wouldn't have taken till friday saturday for it to really kick in and people had to
2: come sunday (laughs) but the
1: word got it but i think word got out thursday and everybody's like i gotta go friday saturday and oh by the way i'm going again on sunday
2: so yeah yeah. all the social media around that parade was was crazy yeah i was out of town Man, Didn't get to see it, and it was like 75 degrees in October. Yeah, yeah. And, yep. nice uh, night for it. Yep, yep. Man, that was awesome. I mean, we still talk about it. Well, we've done 50 episodes. We probably talk about Blink on uh, 20 of them, anyway. <laughs>
0: Easily, that comes up that's, a lot. <laughs>
2: that's cool.
3: So let's talk. Let's talk Josh first. Right. <laughs> uh oh, I've known you since NKU days. Oh yeah. And, and everything in between, man. Right? Yeah, yeah. So NKU parties. Tell, tell people about like, know, your DAP DAP origins.
1: Not, a not a DAP guy. Not a DAP guy. Ah. No, I can't draw. There's Reward life North.
2: outside of DAP.
0: Yeah, there is life outside of DAP.
1: <laughs> Northern Kentucky's thriving, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> so my daughter goes there. Oh, really? Yep. Fellow Cincy Shirts employee. That's awesome. Yeah. So where, you, where'd you go to high school?
1: Ah, uh, so it's the Cincinnati question. On the Northern Kentucky side, I went to Simon Kenton High School. I was a pioneer, right? Ooh.
3: Uh-huh. Yes. In so many ways. Yes. Foreshadowing. Fers- <laughs> right.
1: Skin,
3: skin,
2: cap, all that stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of camo. Yeah. When it wasn't cool. <laughs> <laughs> Not ironic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um,
3: so you went to Northern. And what did yep. you study at Northern?
1: Uh, communications. I learned I could... Um, at an
0: early age, were we able was, to use. Was, yeah. was it, was was it informatics? Oh yeah, I'll just leap you yeah. out. Okay. Go, go for it. Um, informatics is that was an informatics back That's then. They call it informatics now. Not I yet. was like
1: informatics. What is that? Yeah, uh, yeah they got
3: cool I buildings got it, and stuff.
0: Yeah, now. Right. we called it communications.
1: I could I could get up in front of a class and give the presentation that no one else wanted to. That's right. That was
3: how I was too. We, we, you did everything before it was cool. You went to Northern before it was cool, yep. right?
1: Something like that. It's just
3: concrete. Well, it's still a bit of a concrete jungle, but just the inside of the buildings are a lot cooler now.
0: Yeah, than they, they were, got neon, we they there. got LED lights. Well, it's surprisingly different if you drive around the campus. It, it looks like a, a TV movie from the 70s about science fiction, yep. and that's not a put-down. I think it looks really yep. cool, and it's amazing the variety <laughs> they have. Even though it's all poured concrete, they all look different.
1: Well, yeah. no, I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I've gotten more engaged over the last couple of years with the university as well and definitely see the growth that's happening over there. There's some really good people that are, that are you know, a part of the organization. I think they've kind of ruffled some feathers over the last couple of years. Yeah. But, I mean, the, the university is making strides and, you know, is an underutilized asset in the community. And, you know, hopefully people start seeing that and realizing it. So
3: I feel like that started when we were there. I yeah, honestly I believe that because they had the same president for so long. It was a school that not a lot of people were going to. There was almost no campus life, Yep. you know. And when you and I were there, it's like they got a new president. They got a new athletic director. They They approved the, well, at the time they approved the football team. But, <laughs> you know, some of the newer buildings they have now were approved when yep. you and I were in school there. And um and it was kind of this unknown thing. The basketball team got really good, and there was like a lot of pub On a around championship. that. Yeah, and then, I remember canceling our spring break. We were supposed to be in Panama City. We switched it to Louisville so we could go watch yeah. them play in the national championship game.
1: And President Mearns, you look at when he was here. I mean, he was the first president to ever get recruited. You know, from from NKU, right? Like, yeah, that's a sign of growth. Like he came, and then Ball State recruited him, right? Like, yeah. So you kind of got to look at the positive in that he was only there a couple of years, but it was the first time we've ever had a president get recruited from yeah. our campus. Yeah. So
3: and uh, Jack Moreland was only there for the couple of years when I was there, mm-hmm. but he was he came in and was like, "Let's do some different stuff," you know. I think that that really set the tone for what it's become. I mean, they they had visions of being a Division One oh. athletics back then, and that's all finally come to fruition.
1: <clears throat> and I often say the thing that NKU allowed me to do because um, I started throwing parties in college that's how I paid for college it was yeah you did throwing,
2: yeah? throwing parties
3: well.
1: and re- would rent nightclubs out on a, on a Sunday night when ticket it was, sports bar sp- ticket sports into. bar uh, have a nice day when it would be like president's day or Martin Luther King day or Columbia, um you know whatever day that's a Monday that banks and you know schools off but a lot of people work we would go rent out bars and venues and throw parties on those nights and that's how I paid for college and nku was the ability that's the problem with education today i was able to graduate without debt and create economy not join economy and so many people now you graduate with so much college debt you're forced to join the economy like you've got to go get a job to pay for your college bills i didn't have to go get a job i could go tinker around and i didn't have a five hundred dollar a month school debt you know i i was you know had a hundred fifty dollars rent that was split with like five different people. They were placed down <laughs> DJing in Compton. Yeah, yeah, DJing. And, exactly. <laughs> throwing parties there late night, charging people to get in. Yep. Um But <laughs> I remember like it was <laughs> yesterday, man. But that's you know. That's, so
3: how'd you get into well, the nightclub awesome. promotion and and eventually the the Loco Brothers and all that stuff? Um, those are very fond memories that I have. It
1: started a lot with honestly just paying for school, and I went to NKU and I wanted to. You know, I wasn't too engaged my first year. Second year, someone asked me to play flag football. And there was a fraternity on campus that didn't have enough people to play flag football. It was small. So I started playing flag football with these guys. And Who's that? The teeks? Teeks. And they, um... And then, you know, I started realizing I didn't want to pay for my social life. I didn't want to pay for dues and things like that. And a fraternity, what if we threw parties and we charged people? And that paid for all the dues. Wow. Well, once we began, you know, the organization grew. It's like we couldn't do that anymore, so... I was like, well, I'm going to go throw parties and make money for myself, <laughs> and uh, kept throwing parties. And when when I graduated, um, the bars and restaurants kept calling. You know, I worked for Ruby for several years at the waterfront. Um, when that used to Las Brisas and Coconut Joe's and Rumba. Rumba, yeah, down on Cicero's on Thursday night, I helped start the Thursday night at Cicero's promoting that at uh, the syndicate, uh, yeah. at the syndicate in yeah. the basement. <clears throat> I remember that um, too. college nights. He used to go between Cicero's and Rumba. And
3: it was and, a very, damn. it was like every night of the week we had a different place, place to, go, to go. And it would be the same crowd at every, every place. Every single night. But it was, uh, you know, for the people in charge, it was and, guaranteed income.
1: And downtown, know. there was only, you know, people don't remember. Downtown, there was, even Main Street, when I opened the, we opened our first club, it was when the, after the riots and Main Street was dying. And downtown, like people don't realize, downtown closed at 5 o'clock. There oh, was okay. maybe one bar a week. On Tuesday night was Overflow. If you remember Overflow, which is where the pizza place now is on Main Street, and Family Impulse was the band that played there every Tuesday. Uh, Wednesday was like a mix between like McFadden's or. Um, Electra? Uh, Electra. Sycamore Gardens. Sycamore Gardens, Gardens even before that. that. And then yeah. Thursday would be. The or or side.
3: Cooter's, uh, Cooters Vertigo. Of, uh, Vertigo <laughs> yeah. was also another
1: Wednesday yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was. That was You know, where culture and nightlife was happening, I always believed that culture was created from 9 o'clock at night to 5 in the morning and it was manipulated by marketing agencies from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Yeah. And now I have a marketing agency, which is kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know if it's but a marketing agency or an There was also, there was
3: also a, a timing thing because there was mm-hmm. that window of where Pete Rose way went away because it yep. started out when, I was fr- when I was a freshman. Caddies, yeah. yeah. We'd go to Caddies or Flanagan's or
1: Teen Night, yeah.
3: And then and, and then, then when that closed, night. it like every pushed everything to Main Street, yep. you know, to to Bar Cincinnati and have a nice day. Japs and, and
1: like the, RBCs and it's amazing because we have our store on
3: Main, and I was like. I was like, I remember when, if I came downtown. This was prior to working at Procter and Gamble. If I came downtown, Main Street was the only place I went. Yep. And then for a long time, it became like Main Street was the place that Main Street was the place that no one went, right? Because everything had shut down. When I think
1: about it, you know, bars like that cycle will always come back. Because when's the last time you've seen a bar turn into a hair salon or a corner store? Like a bar never turns into something else. Yeah. Like something, someone always is going to come around and be like, "I can do a bar there," yeah. and you know it, it. It'll just change ownership, and that's what Main Street did. It just sat actually empty with the bars in them for several years, until people started. You know, the group went in and did neons and started bringing it back. And um, but you never see a bar turn into like a hair salon or a nail shop. But you see a nail shop turn into a bar, and you see a store turn into a bar. So I mean, if you got a business, you got a building that has a bar in it. Nine times out of ten, someone's going to come lease that thing sooner or later. You just
0: might not get the dollar you want
1: because the market might have gone out. Is that also
0: because the liquor license is tied to the property, or is that separate? It is tied to the
1: property, but typically, if you if you you know you um, you uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You mess up your lease, or you, you you don't abide by, or you don't pay. That's the first asset the landlord can. Can pull. so typically a, the, oh, okay. the license stays with a with oh. the asset um, it's kind of hard if you're delinquent on your lease to take a liquor license out of a out of a property so
3: but tangent. You know, we're talking like pre like
1: pre social e- media social media
3: yeah. and email lists and stuff, and it was all it was a lot of it was word of mouth it was yep. where where are the cool kids going to be that brought everybody else there or, or in theory like where are the girls right because that's going to bring out the guys.
1: Not in today's Me Too. We gotta be. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. But back then,
3: like <laughs> yeah. if you wanted to, if you wanted was, a crew crowd to show up, there was ladies'
1: night. Can you believe there was a ladies' night where ladies got free drinks before like midnight? Oh, just like, yeah. Guys are just post up at the bar and watch. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it's so many things that <laughs> it's in different. It was completely different, but you know that's why I, I started Agar, is because, you know, to me, you know, you have a. A theater, and then a post office, and then you have a bar, and then you have social media. They're all the same process. They're just different mediums. It's sharing of information. Back in the you know, early ends of time, theater was the sharing of news and information. Post office in little communities used to be the place you went and you exchanged information and news. Bars became that. And when I had a nightclub in 2008 that was a little more high-end bottle service type place that was doing all the things that Josh mentioned Um, but that was also the same time that Twitter and Facebook had started right before Facebook had its IPO and we were doing the same things to create that word of mouth and that viral you know we were messaging people we were um, posting photos on our website that we took we would take photographers and videographers all weekend we would take photos and we would post them on our website at 11 o'clock on Monday 11 o'clock on Monday, you saw the people hit the site and pull those photos down because that was their memento from the weekend. We own that content within the four walls of that experience. And we utilize that to create the word of mouth and the marketing and the messaging of creating a social experience. Today, you take your own picture, you post it on Instagram, and you hope you get a lot of likes. It's the same process. It's just a different medium. So how do you use That's what Agar was out to create, is how do you deliver powerful brand messages in social settings? And as the world moves more and more digital, which we've obviously have entered into a digital world, then the value of a human experience and interaction will inherently increase. So things that, you know, that became, you know, and I'm sure you're even seeing it, Josh, within comedy. People want to go back and see, have a physical experience, but you also use the digital to help spread the message to drive the physical space.
3: Right, but I think you're you're selling yourself short on the things that you were doing back then. Like, I was a small part of the promotional side of it. <clears throat> but, you know, there was a lot of, like, physical, like, man hours that went oh. into of, like, we got to design postcards. Even if it's just around one night, you know, we're going to have a theme for this night. We're going to... Um, we're going to go to whatever this popular club is and we're going to put postcards underneath everybody's Everything. windshield wipers while yep. they're at the club. So that when they come back out afterwards, they're going to see, like, where's the next place yep. we're going. You know, because it, it wasn't like there was, a you know, I mean, some of these bars were popular, but it wasn't like there was like a bar that would fill itself. Like right. you were able to take there was various a spots around the city and say, like, you know what? on Sunday, we're going to make this place busier than it is any other night of the week. And
1: you were able to do it. Well, people, there was an operation that happened while the experience was happening inside. There were street teams outside, plastering all the cars, all the vehicles. (laughs) We, We used to walk, spent days walking Clifton Hills. From what is it, um, Ohio over to um, Ravine, yeah, up the, and down up the streets, McMillan, up to yeah. McMillan, flyering car after <laughs> car after <laughs> car. After we car. would have this giant <laughs>
3: box of like cardboard flyers, and we <laughs> would just take stacks and be like, "All right, we'll take these blocks, and then you, you guys take, take those, those blocks, and then go meet the street team. Yeah, and
1: go meet on campus That's and nice. pass them out. And then when you got short, you're just like, okay, the last. I got this, bit, we're only giving them to girls because we're almost out now. <laughs> yeah. So, and you'd have your little initial on them, which yep. is how we tracked because you get like five dollars off so you came back and brought your little card then i got credit for that person and then we were breaking up the revenue based on who who brought Ah, the crowd what
3: they realized was uh is that i was bringing like the the people that i was telling was a different Crowd than what they were telling. Like they had um, service industry. Like you guys had like that crowd on lockdown. Like I was one of the few people on the quote unquote team that was in the corporate world. I was already at Procter and Gamble at the time, so they knew that I was bringing in like all my P and G friends who were gonna you know because it's a mix of people, right? Like
1: that's what creates a that's what creates an experience. If you go to place and you see all the same people that are a lot alike like then i mean yeah you have interesting conversation but it's when you mix all of different people from diverse backgrounds diverse economies diverse workforce and you have you have unique conversations and you see some wild outlandish things that you probably wouldn't see anywhere else and you know that's that was what was fun about about that is and it was a point where creativity was kind of Limitless because you had to work with the resources that you had to be creative whereas today I think I still look at the, the market and you know if there was a hungry promoter out there that truly wanted to have what I call the the one minute promoter because we used to go into places and you know be in there 40 minutes that's 30 conversations you can have with someone to tell them about when the next party is you know one minute promoter listen to them talk to them for a minute and then tell them what, what you know you got going on in your next event and invite them out a lot of people don't take the time to personally invite people to things anymore and make the momentum of like, hey, I really want you to come out to this and support me. It's a message on Facebook or it's a message, it's spam that the authenticity and the, the work, it's the easy thing to do. So people don't want to do the hard thing to do, which actually means pick up your phone. I can fill a room today if I had to because I can pick up the phone, and call 50 people and ask them to invite five people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's 250 yeah. people that's going yeah, to show up. no one likes
2: to talk to real human beings. Not anymore.
3: <laughs> but then, you know, but it was like, as that business sort of started to grow, the competition started to grow with it of like, you know, who's going to have the place to be. Mm-hmm. And so one of the other things that you guys did that even at the time I was like, this is so smart. And, and I feel like it's a, it's a metaphor for for this city and what the other cool things that are happening in this city. It's because we've, we've gone out to other cities that are doing cool stuff and we're like what what is cool here mm-hmm. and let's bring that to Cincinnati right yep. and that's what you guys did with the with the club scene and the like the promotional stuff so you know to take it a step further from okay we're going to rent this place out you know we're going to have the best DJ and the best music and the best looking people let's start Taking this up a notch, yep. so I pulled these pictures up. You haven't, you oh haven't seen no. these. Oh no. <laughs> so, uh, so this was this was one of my favorite nights working oh. with you guys. Do you remember was this? This is uh, with the Jackass, the Jackass crew, Jackass guys, at waterfront. Yep. So <laughs> when they, they came in
1: on a boat, they came in it? on
3: a boat. He had three guys from Jackass uh, who were very popular at the time. Wow! Brought them in to do live stunts <laughs> at the waterfront. Yep.
1: And it was one of the craziest, craziest nights. nights. It was right when Jackass hit life. MTV. Yep. Really? Um, right when they were just kind of exploded on MTV. We booked him early through a guy, um Nick Dunlap out of Cleveland, who was managing all those guys. Steve O, I went on so many experiences with Steve O in the years after that, from that that connection of meeting with those guys. And we booked him for appearances at many of our other clubs, but it was put a ladder on his head and then get kicked in the balls. Like just Guys diving into swimming pools, pools filled with cow poop. Yeah. And, I mean, I, like, <laughs> we had to go get the cow poop. Yeah. Like, a of the riders. Oh, yeah, we got to we really go, go get a baby pool of cow poop. So it's like... Okay, we got a pickup truck. Someone go buy a baby oh pool. My gosh. Anybody know anybody that's got a farm that we can go get cow and horse shit to put in the baby pool to then drive to the club? Holy cow. I can't believe yeah. you have pictures of that. Yep. <laughs> so what year are we talking here? Ninety- Look, but that, that's me. Eight, the, the video camera everywhere you went. You had yep. content, content, content. And you can tell that that's I like had a
3: disposable camera because I couldn't tell if the, if the pictures were centered oh, yeah, yeah. or not. Yep
2: until they were already yeah. developed
3: in the that, that was
1: probably 2000, 2000 maybe 99, 2000
2: 2001. Probably, yeah, probably 2001. It was pre-9/11. People have that It was pre-9/11. Was in Jamie
3: Lynn Sigler. The Meadow Soprano was in town that yep. night and she came and hung out with everybody and uh, with That's her. the thing is there's people
1: come that come into the city, you know, and they, they you threw the after
3: party
0: yeah. for you guys his guys sake got Britney and Spears Kid Rock that, right? There. Yeah.
1: Yep. Kid Rock used to throw a lot of house parties for him when and When he would come into town and house parties, house parties. There was a, a party over in Hyde Park. We used to do a um, gentleman was friends with uh, Kid Rock, and it would just be Kid Rock would come after show, and I would invite you know 200 hot girls closest and closest friends, closest <laughs> friends, and <laughs> it would be a crazy. We did about four of those, you know, in a row. Um, so when Josh it, calls, they answer.
3: They, <laughs> they used bad. to answer. Yeah, <laughs> the there's a guy oh there diving is into the swimming sh- pool. Of diving manure. into yeah. manure. Uh, but
2: I mean, this is a club where people are out This is the waterfront. This, this, the water this is the waterfront. Jeff like, Ruby's waterfront. This front. is like the nicest restaurant yeah. in the city, and this is going this on in the pool guy. right outside. Where's the health department?
1: <laughs> exactly. This guy's <laughs> diving in poo. It was a poo dive,
2: is I think what like they a called big it. in the skyline, actually.
3: It was <laughs> but I, I show these pictures, and we'll put some of these if that's okay. yeah, we'll go ahead We'll put some of these on the blog page for this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't it was like you guys never just were content, and I, I always admired that, you know what Thank I mean? You. It was like, all right, we've we've achieved, we've hit the the ceiling in this how do we break through the roof and do yep. more cool stuff you know and it went from now now we're not just going to find a club to promote we're going to open our own club yep. you know with claw um which you know was like our city hadn't seen that before yep. then so yeah, how, was, how did that come to be where you when, what made you decide to pull the trigger of let's quit renting out other people's spots and open our own
1: um the idea that we you know we've you know, we've traveled, we've seen what other cities were doing, and you, you're limited when you go into another space what you can do. So we've never been able to create our own space and actually, con- you know, control every and every piece of the environment. Um, and I remember that business plan. We wrote that business plan. I spent a week locked in a friend's apartment, and I've never written a business plan in my life and i've never written one since then like you know you have a business plan and perform but that was a yeah. real you see these business plans of like executive summaries and like 45 pages and you're like who yeah. spent the time to do that yeah we yeah. actually did that on that in wow. in that in wrote every in order element. to get funding yeah and, and went out and, and pitched it whereas like today you know if i, if I do a venue it's just a financial perform a theme deck here's kind of what i'm trying to do it's just it's just different um but we did it in every detail, down to it being a, a, a live art gallery that we would auction pieces off every quarter to drive creativity and artists. And we had these glass model boxes where we had still models that just stood there and the lights would come on and they would show up in this two way glass boxes. And then we just became super creative and it was, we just constantly had to keep topping ourselves. We were young, I was 23 years old. I owned a nightclub that Conde Nast Travelers said was. Top nightclub from Boston to Beijing, um, in Little Cincinnati. A year after the riots, riding right over the Rhine, and it was. But it was wow. the timing yep. of it because it was the city did need some sort of hope or some sort of like. And we were twenty year olds with no experience and never opened a place before, and we were having fun and having fun doing it. Now, who's we? Is it? I had a partner, Scott Sheridan. Was it? Was it? Was a? Was kind of one of the lead visionaries behind it, and I was. I think he was more on the vision and I was able to see the vision and articulate it and execute it. Um, Which is huge. And you had the reach. Yeah, Yeah. and and because both, I came from the Kentucky side, he came from the Ohio side, we were able to pull a big demographic of people together and and most importantly, leave memories for people. Um, That was the biggest thing of creating memories. Yeah, because it wasn't
3: just a cool, like it wasn't just like, everybody's going here, so let's go there, like, with the art. Like, you would go in there, and, like, it was the first place that I'd ever been where I was actually paying attention to stuff that was on the walls, and it was, like, local artists and stuff like that, and I was like, I've never seen anything like this.
1: Yeah, it was. But all those things still, you know, when we even get to something like Blink, all those processes, you know, are still, like, the, the essence of...
2: Yeah, The scaling. Of, of scaling. Right, I mean, it's how we got reconnected
3: was you were working with... Um, Landor. Landor. <laughs> and Steve yeah. was still Steve McGowan was still at Landor, and you were planning a day for their employees to sort of jumpstart their creativity, you yep. know, and so part of it was this sort of, like, ambush stand-up show where you took them to uh, the theater
1: next to Music Hall. Yep, we did this whole piece called... Um, So we cemetery or something? yeah we did this whole thing where we we showed up on the um, what is it what's the bar up in Mount Adams? It's got the little short bus, the like the flamingo painting on it or an owl now. Well, whatever you're talking. So it's next to Longworth Hall. We took their short bus and we just drove it down to their office and we we, and I worked with their executive team to do this, but we just kind of picked 16 people and randomly went up and tapped them on the shoulder and said, "You're coming with us." And they walk out onto the short bus and it had a. yeah, this was one of our first clients when I started oh, what well, was Ionic before Agar. Yeah. Um, and we just put them on a short bus and it had a karaoke machine on it with a cooler full of beer. And we took them around, um, all around the idea of fear. And one of the first things that we did was we took them to, um, the, uh, to the Spring Grove Cemetery and gave them a, a behind-the-scenes tour of the Spring Grove Cemetery. And it's like the whole idea of the fear of death. Right? Like and that like, you know, and how do you face that fear and obviously like Taft is there, Kroger's there, all these major historians of Cincinnati that obviously probably didn't fear death much. They were they were fearless. And then we had Josh come in and it was probably the smallest stand up comedy he's ever done for anyone <laughs> No, <but>. it wasn't <laughs> <laughs> He did stand up for fifteen folks and it was the fear of performing in front of an audience. And how do you overcome that fear nightly? And, you know, he did 15, 20 minutes of stand-up and then, you know, talked about how you, you know, overcome the fear of, you know, walking into a big room and how do you overcome your fears of, are my jokes going to work or not? Um, And that process, which then relates to them in the advertising world, that fear of presenting in a room and pitching your concepts and your ideas. Um, And then we took them finally to Bobby Mackey's um, for the fear of the unknown. And they took, um, they rode a little bull and then we took them with the ghost hunting machines down through, and it's like you know the fear of of the unknown. And it was just a four-hour workshop, all around of getting people to like start thinking creatively. And to st- till that day, that's how I met Steve McGowan, who's at Brave Berlin, who's a yeah. partner at Blank. Was through. He was the first person I ever presented what is now Agar to. The first person. I had a little deck that I shared with him. Um, Every
3: episode we talk about brave berlin or blink i keep i always say we gotta get
1: steve in here oh god (laughs) what a what a what a special person the essence of what a true creative director is yeah steve mcgowan's a special person yeah he's the Um, he's the best yep
3: so so but you you bought the building and over the Rhine. so (laughs) you you had some vision there you know before that whole area around finley market so what's going on with the event space? And so
1: transept, so open transept. I bought that building in 2011, um, right when they were starting on Washington Park, um, or just finished, I think Washington Park. It was a old Gothic church, um, had been vacant for 23 years. Roof was falling off of it. It probably wouldn't have made it another summer uh, or another winter um, in the condition it was. And uh, put a deal together. I, I wanted to do what was then. I wanted to do like a like a. House of Blues concept with like a live music venue with a restaurant underneath it, um, and I went to Michael forgus who I had met who used to own the Blackstone Grill and Funky's Catering, and I was like, I want to do this live music venue. I had Live Nation looking at the building um, to do the booking. He goes, I'm not doing a restaurant. He goes, but I'll do an event center, and we just kind of kept kept working through it and ended up getting finance and we opened in 2000. It took me four years to get that project from the day we bought the building to get it open. It only took us a year to build it, but to get it financed, to get the the concept up and and get people to believe in the idea. So that's transept on Washington Park. It does a ton of weddings, events, corporate events, galas, fundraisers, happy hours. It's a little pub that's open uh, seven days a week. Um, And now it's an anchor of of Washington Park. You know, there was nothing over there. It was before Music Hall was renovated. Um, It was still kind of the essence of the Needle Park. That had just got a, f- a facelift. <laughs> yeah, so
3: and so uh, with Agar now, obviously, you know, Blink is a is a huge. What other things are you guys doing besides Blink?
1: Man, Agar is taking us all over the country and explain know, like what the, you guys do. It's a, you can do like so, activation. Yeah, we're and, experiential. So we and people are like, what is experiential? It's like we as the and kind of the reason why we exist is the world moves more and more digital the value of a human experience and human interaction will inherently increase. I believe that as we kind of all bury ourselves in heads and phones, that those that can create human experiences and human interactions will thrive in a new economy. And that's the basis of why Agar was created. Um, so we do that for brands and companies that, as the world moves more and more digital, younger generations are putting ad blockers on their phone. They don't want to be targeted with ads. You have to create experiences to market to them. So. We're doing everything from, you know, locally in Cincinnati, we say there's not a major event. We're not somewhat integrated in somehow. Either our clients are sponsoring, we're activating, we're helping produce um, and whatnot. But nationally, we're doing, you know, these consumer trade shows like BeautyCon and ComplexCon and all these events where consumers are now going into trade show exhibits. We're building experiences within those. Those those booths. We're doing mobile tours for clients, banking clients, uh, auto clients, uh, product launches. You know, so around the auto industry, we do a lot of. When a vehicle will launch at an auto show, we'll take an experience and rent an old warehouse out. You know, next, you know, say in New York around the New York auto show, and we'll create an influencer curated experience all around the launch of a vehicle, and we have dealers invite in. You know, if there's 20 dealers in New York, they'll invite six people to an event. So you have 120 people there that are consumers or buyers of the vehicle. And we dress the room like we dress a nightclub with unique and interesting people. So those buyers feel they're having an experience. And we sell cars that way. We give people rebates after the event to buy a car. Even if you were one of those beautiful people or artists that walk in, you still get a, a rebate to buy a car as if you were the rich person looking at a 100-figure sports car. So... We're doing a lot of – This last year was the first year that our revenue was, you know, 70%, 30 70% out of market versus 30% out Oh, of wow. And mm-hmm. it's just
3: word of mouth?
1: Word of well, – I mean, I often say that we, we create experience. We have built-in word of mouth. Who did this experience? Like, who is it? Oh, it's right. Agar. It's a group. Like, we
2: don't yeah. we don't market ourselves. People – It's also vague. I mean, you go to your website, and you're like, what is this? I was like, is this an ad agency? Is it a graphic design studio? Like, what – yeah, that's a we sometimes. That's
1: why we just say it's experiential, and then you have gotta. What is experiential? Puts humans first. Like, how can you figure out how you know what does the human want? How do they want to be marketed to? And then, and through that is through experience. And if you give them a good experience, so they're going to share that experience on their social. They're going to be, they they have an opportunity to sample your product. They have an idea to understand what is your core purpose of a company and do I relate with that or not? If I relate to it, I'm going to be loyal. I'm going to share. You hear often about the brand funnel, you know, being able to get consumers through the brand funnel. Experience is the only marketing strategy that can put a consumer through a brand funnel the absolute fastest. They can meet the product they can be. They can understand the awareness. They can become an advocate, and they can come loyalty all within a 30-minute time period. No other marketing form can do that in in today's format or ever. So it's super powerful. But a lot of brands, you know, they go the safe route. They do the digital marketing strategy because they know they're going to get the, yeah. Im-
2: the impressions, right? <laughs> like it's cheaper too. Because I'm yep. like, well, how, how many? Even if you brought in 2,000 people through our sensi shirts event. I can still run an ad on Facebook for twenty five bucks or something and, and reach those potentially 2, reach those people. You can reach them,
1: but then you know I can take, you know that's where it's like to me that two thousand person experience is now your commercial shoot. You know you're, these companies are spending a million dollars on a production to shoot a commercial, right? With fake actors, with fake sets, and why can't you spend that million dollars on an event, have real consumers come into that experience, shoot at three hundred and sixty, tell us any story that you want. And then push that out on social, or push that out in your traditional And Have all ad. that extra footage. And have all the extra like footage for social, whatever story you yeah, want to tell. Content, yeah. um, versus spending, I mean, a, a commercial shoot. Well, it's those are the it, the days of the million dollar commercial shoot, or the multi million dollar commercial shoot still exist, but that's kind of becoming a dinosaur. Companies don't want to spend half a million dollars or a million dollars on a commercial anymore. Um, yeah, because it's a crap shoot. Right, and
2: yeah, fast forward to the commercials. Exactly.
1: We're paying as consumers, we're paying fees to not have commercials. Spotify, Netflix, we're paying to say, hey, we don't want to be advertised to. Yet companies still think that that the consumer wants a 15 or 30 second spot. Whereas in China, which I just learned through an interesting conversation I had with an executive at P&G recently, they've gone away with the 15 second spot completely. It's gone. It doesn't even exist in the market because... They actually have more of a built-in e-commerce platform that
0: ties into everything else than we do. But, but here's the thing, and maybe it's a matter of my age. So I'm, I'm the oldest guy in the room, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Is I don't mind sitting through a spot, with a, as opposed to people picking my pocket every two minutes. Oh, if you want that, you got to pay us, you know, five bucks a month. You got to switch for this. <laughs> Ugh! I'll just watch your 15-second commercial, even sp- spurs throughout the video presentation. I don't want it to be bothered with subscribing to this and that and giving my credit card, and my email, and that's. You know, well that's a
1: whole another piece on the whole privacy and yeah I mean the last thing and that's the last thing I need is another app right like, yeah I mean at this point I'm trying to downsize apps like the last thing I need is yeah. another app that's going to take my information follow me on where I go which you know is I'm a firm believer in that piece that like the Spotify's of the world and the Netflix of the world are the are the true biggest threat to social media like that is the next to me the next social media right like You know, I have a Netflix account. I'm assuming you have a Netflix account. Mm -hmm. Josh is an expert in comedy, right? Seems like a good person to ask, like, hey, have you seen a good comedy lately on Netflix? (laughs) Right. You know, like, I have a, a good friend that I always ask, what documentary have you seen on Netflix, right? A text him and he'll send me three or four and I'll probably go watch one or two of those he logs into Netflix, I log into Netflix you log into Netflix, I don't want to see what you're watching on Netflix, that's on you uh-huh. but I should be able to message you through Netflix and be like, hey, have you watched a good comedy? And you send me that comedy back right? Yeah. that's not happening yet I think you're going to start seeing yeah. in it's private, you know, sh- real sharing of content, Spotify is the same way you can share playlists mm-hmm. and things like that but if a new song comes out and you really like it you can't message me that and say hey josh i think you would like this song yeah. which is truly sharing of content because i think social media is becoming i mean we're trying to push brands beyond let's not just get an influencer and let's not just hope you get a bunch of people to share it
3: well the influencer has become such a roll of the dice like you know it's like do, do all these fans are these real
2: people you exactly know, right?
3: yeah, i've like never a heard fiber. of this person in my mm-hmm. life Yeah. You know?
2: yep um, launch a brand on Tuesday, and then on Friday you're celebrating twenty thousand followers. It's like really,
3: yeah, <laughs> that's not real, yeah, well, you also see the integration of like you know I've seen it more on sporting events where they don't break for commercial yep the this the game you're watching becomes a smaller window. there's an ad saying mm-hmm. like this is the next section is brought to you by this, so like you can't really fast forward through it. Like they're getting creative, but yep. I understand what you're saying of like, you almost have to be thinking one step ahead, you know, and too many brands are like, how do we get in on whatever's cool right now? And you right. guys seem to be of the mindset of like, start doing what will be cool, you know,
1: in the yeah, future. What is next? And yeah. That's, you know, when I've turned 40 years old, I'm like, man, how do I, how much of this do I, you know, do I really know, know forward? So now I find myself, everybody in our office is, you know, like, I'm the oldest person in the office almost, and it's like, I have, to, I, have, I have to be around young people, like, to try to, like, figure, you know, almost hack their lives a little bit. Like, what are you doing, and, like, well, how can I make that, uh, how can I hack it or make it more efficient? Yeah. Because that's, you know, that's... You still
2: going out five nights a week, till uh, five in the morning? No, but I do, like, a good get-down
1: every once in a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I end up, at, actually, speaking Saturday night, I was like, I went to Gallup Park, I had to check this place out, I've been hearing people talking about it, a nightclub down by... Um, the old crave. Yeah, it was a good experience. I went, took my wife and a couple friends, and just went to check it out, just so I can at least understand what what's going what on. The kids are what doing the kids are doing right? these yeah. days, right? <laughs> I, was I don't feel like a kid. I'm ready. To, I can have as
2: much fun as them. <laughs> I no was more like with the old folks at fest. So uh, I, I fit, stopped through Bachfest. Fit right in, right there. Saw the parade. What a good time! What it's, a unique
1: yeah. piece of like. Tradition inherited. There were that the city two dudes had.
2: from San Francisco that came in just for Bach Fest. This is the second year in a row they've uh, been there, and they they wanted their goal was to bring Bach Fest to San Francisco. They want to do the whole thing, and I'm like, part of me is like, okay, good luck with that, because you know San Francisco is too cool for anything that was starting in Cincinnati. But they're just like, oh my gosh, they would eat this up, and blah blah blah. I don't know about the authenticity of people because, you know, people love the, the history and the monks. Yeah, because you know, San Francisco has got a great German heritage. Yeah. <laughs> but it was funny. It was like, <laughs> man, people in, Cincinnati or in San Francisco are yeah. wanting to take our culture back there. So, uh, but, but I think Blink
3: is like one of those events that other cities will be like, I want that.
2: Yeah, and I think,
1: you you know, it, it's funny on Blink because you bring up a an interesting kind of segue back into that fear trip that we went on in Landor because Blink was you know, give you a little history of Blink and the birth of, of Blink Blink happened at Landor we did a parking lot party around Cincinnati Design Week, Fashion Week, where we painted the street and we painted it with some street artists to paint a mural in the street and we, we kind of put some kind of Dawn dish detergent solvent on it so we could pressure wash it, we didn't know if paint was going to come up or not and we'll just paint the street and pressure wash when it's done, we did a, a stage at the end of Shiltoe Way there Um, and Steve and Dan were were creative directors at Landor, and they projection mapped on that building above our stage with live music. And the mayor came, and um, it was about a 1,000 people, and people were like, this is so awesome. This is like, this is cool. How do we do that? Well, word kind of traveled, and it it turned into what was Luminosity. Mm -hmm. You know, in Luminosity, we brought Luminosity to Washington Park, which was, you know, the first live projection mapping to a symphony orchestra. And... Steve and Dan were working on that. We managed all the social media, the content, the marketing of the event, and worked with the symphony to create luminosity. Well year one, you know, that was called that was how experience drives momentum. It was called the tipping point of over the Rhine. It was on the cover of Cincinnati.com that day. On that after the weekend we put forty something thousand people through the park in four days. Destroyed the park. But it was it was people were forced to kind of break bread and have an experience together because the park was so crowded. You just kinda had to sit and Hey, got an extra drink, got a, you know, and, and have a really good experience, and it, it blew up. But then, you know, year two, that's kind of when it changed, and that's when Steve and Dan left um, Landor and created what was Brave Berlin, and we did year two. And if you remember year two of Luminosity, we put fences up, and we made it like a ticketed event. You, you know, the CSO made it a ticketed event, and we were in meetings going, guys, this is not – this is not what we want to do. You should be doing we should be giving this to the people. Like putting fences up and, and the symphony needs a younger audience. Like you need to be op- opening and welcoming. But yeah. safety concerns, all the things that come into events, and I'll logistics. tie this in a blink logistics.
2: Yeah. And the tickets were still free, right? Yeah, they were free and you you're well, so the the out and people were selling them. But
1: then they were ticketed.
2: <laughs> the third
1: year it's like okay, they're ticketed and you gotta you gotta pay twenty dollars for the ticket. And that was at the year it went indoors. No, then okay. then that's when we after that year we were like, you know, that was just, we're kind of done with this event, awesome <laughs> brave Berlin, and um, year four they they even brought it even more and they took it indoors, um, and all that's kind of when we started sparking the idea of what is now Blink is we were like there's 16 projectors shooting on a big red building, we could take one of those projectors and we have 16 buildings that we can light up. And we started the Hale Foundation. Andrew had gone to the Hale Foundation to do a mural festival because we've been studying you know, street art. And I've done a ton of murals in the city here locally as well. And how street art can drive economic, you know, e- e- economic, be an economic driver. You look at the Wynwood Walls in Miami. Uh, you look at um, the Williamsburg in New York. It was where creatives were coming in, painting places and then as the creative class starts coming in, next thing you know, a bar opens up, a coffee shop opens up, next thing you know, developers come in and the place looks like any other place in the, in the country. So we had gone to the Hale Foundation to do a mural festival, you know, in the Findlay Market area because three, four years ago, Findlay Market was, you know, not as desirable as it is now Yeah. in the evening. You'd go there on the weekends. And at the same time, Brave Berlin was like, let's take Luminosity and break it up. Um, so the Hale Foundation sent us kind of around, just like you said in the club, we'd go around the the world, exploring these festivals. Berlin, Leeds. Um, we spent two weeks in, um, this is when we knew it was happening, we spent two weeks in Australia at the Sydney at the um, Vivid Festival, the largest projection mapping and light-based art festival in the world. Generates over 9 million people over three weeks, and they do it in their winter as a way to drive tourism. So you got Symphony Opera House, projection mapped, you have boats floating in the water. It's insane. It takes over the whole city. And we mapped out, you know, Blink in, in Cincinnati, we mapped out in, in, in Sydney on Google Maps every building that we were going to light up and where we were going to put installations um, in creating what we call beacons and breadcrumbs. So you would walk, enter into the experience, look around, you'd see a beacon, which is a building lit up really far, and you'd see another beacon, and you're like, which one? Okay, I'm going to go that way, and you'd come across the breadcrumb, a little light-based installation or a parking lot party that kept kind of unfolding as an experience happened. And um, that was kind of the magic. We knew what we had. We programmed the city around the streetcar route. That's what a lot of people, we didn't want to be political because who wants to get on that political war of the streetcar. But if you look at the the map, we went right along the streetcar route and we put experiences off a block off. And it was a, a block of discovery. We wanted you to take a block off of the streetcar route and walk a street you hadn't walked before to have an experience. And that was so, when we went to these other places, sometimes you have to get on a bus to go into different areas to see the different light shows. So we knew the condensed air. That's when I say we knew what we had because we're a very walkable city. No one's just ever created an experience right. yeah. that allowed you to explore the city in a, a safe, fun fun way and through art and music. Same way Club Claw was through art and music and creativity and allowing yourself to be yourself when you walked into this 8,000 square foot space versus a Twenty city block city um, it's still the same philosophy and principles and that's the fear i have as we move into this year and i've really you know pushed with the city and the the chamber and and all of our partners and i think everybody else from the team is too is like you know we didn't have any issues last year right there were no arrests we did over 1 million people there weren't any arrests downtown that we know of safe event my concern is us humans like to do things and experience things our own way. We start blocking streets off and we start, you know, moving people this way versus that way. Does it become a forced experience
2: and does that inherently create issues or problems? We can't know, put you fences up. You've got to block the streets off. Yeah. That's one thing. Because well. – like, and no sandwich boards on the sidewalks because yeah. like, I don't know how many times a sandwich board would you know just be the. But can we can we block a lane instead of a out. street,
1: right? And so the
2: sidewalk extends. I agree with you. Yeah. if you, you know, know what, what I mean. Like, you gotta keep that streetcar going. That yep. was that was hilarious. We'd like sit there, oh, it was waiting for that thing. Like, oh, it's just right down the other corner, and it was just, like no one was moving. Because I feel it like was so it was crazy,
3: whether it was intentional or not, that the first luminosity got people who, no matter how many good things they heard about Vine Street, it got them down to over the Rhine yep. to see with their own eyes, like, wow, this is different. This yep. is, this is some place I need to come more often. And, you know, and then with building that up and then what, what is now Blink... You know, as a small business owner and someone who's lived downtown and just wants to see this city thrive and the mentality change of of the way people in the suburbs view downtown yep. and over the Rhine. Like, I do agree with you that when you start, you know, subconsciously telling people, like, we're blocking this off because you don't want to go past this barrier. Right. That you still plant that seed of, like, there's still reasons to maybe not come down here. Right. Whereas if it's, like come down, feel safe, see cool stuff, and then don't only come down for Blink. Come down because there's a cool t-shirt shop on Main Street. There's great restaurants everywhere. You know, like, that's what this city needs, I feel like, more than anything, is now we've got this momentum. Let's Let's not just use it to bring in people from other cities to see how cool Cincinnati is. We've got to make sure that the people who've lived there their whole life don't just stay on the west side or the east side or in northern Kentucky. They've got to see that there's cool stuff happening downtown and come down there more often than just these big events.
1: And that was the manifesto when we were at Twenty One C in Louisville. We did a two day retreat or in yeah Louisville and you know I think. Tamara Harkavy from Artworks asked, "Why are we doing this? Why?" And we, everybody was like, "What's the why, right?" Like, and Andrew, um, who couldn't make the day, you know, he resoundingly just looking, He goes, "Because this is what future cities do, you know." And that, that became the whole manifesto of like, "We want to become a future city." Um, and a future city is about, you know, if you read the manifesto, it's about all likes of people. Exactly what you're talking about. Like now, there's you know VIP ticketing areas that we're doing. This year. last year was amazing because everyone walked in the streets together. And there were no lines of separation. There were no, like, we were all in this experience together. You sat in traffic. Some people sat in traffic for hours. Some people, as you said, had their face up against the streetcar that people were watching and laughing, but stuck on the streetcar route and you can't get off the streetcar. But that was like part of that shared experience, as I talked about at Luminosity the first year, like the park was so crowded. You kind of had to stand where you were and make friends with the people that were next to you because you're in a tight quarter. And there's something about that and that was the mantra that we learned on blink is like why did it work is like it's in our dna as humans to explore darkness through light and that's you know from the days we were neanderthals sitting around a fire hunters and gatherers we would sit around a fire for a shared experience and if you look at light and blink and the art and what we've we're, what we're creating it's that same essence as people like to wander in the dark around light and when you put them in there together it, you have no choice but to be humane to people when you're kind of like, well, I can't walk any further and you can't walk any further, so I guess, we'll. what's your name? And I think that's the thing that if I, you know, take any essence of blank of what we hope it can also drive forward within anything else that's creating the event is that essence that we are in this together. Um, and creativity ultimately is what's what's driving it. For sure.
2: As far as like the city goes, I mean, I know that Cincinnati kind of gets a bad rap here and there for, you know, we have these ideas, but when... You know, there's always something or some counselor or somebody that puts a stop to this or doesn't make it quite as fun. Uh, but now they've seen what you guys could do and see what Blink was. You think it's a lot? They haven't done easier enough this next time. They or? haven't
1: done enough, and I, I'll get political. Um, I'm probably one that um, would think outside the box. I don't understand why we're not. You know, th- th- this is this events relied on the corporate community to, to fund it. And I don't understand why we can't get above and beyond the take of the parking garages that the city and county own. You know, if they're charging $10 and we, they charge 25 we should get 15 to help fund this. There's technology in place to tell me how much sales tax generated in the city over a four-day period. Why can't we get some of that sales tax to fund this? They'll get sales tax to fund a soccer stadium. But we won't get sales tax to fund a creative arts that brings more people than a soccer stadium will bring in eight, eight, eight games. And it's it's an international, you know, spotlight of creativity and a brand hub of this city. That if if a soccer stadium or a football stadium can get a piece of sales tax, I just want sales tax for four days. Give me above the take, right? If you take, you know, you bring in a million dollars in sales revenue every weekend, and we bring in ten million, we can't get a piece of that to fund this event year after year. I don't think there's a lot of politicians that will stand behind that. I don't think there's a lot of. Organization partners that'll stand by behind it, but I believe in it.
3: So why why wouldn't they? Like, what is their argument when you present? No one wants
1: to. No one wants to to take on that conversation. And I've brought it up several times to the city and the community. If you want to market yourself, market yourself through experience. That's how we're marketing ourselves through a soccer team, through a football team, through a baseball team. This is on the level of a soccer team, a football team, or baseball team, or it can be. Yeah. Um, but it can only be every two years because it's four or five million dollars to produce, and we 've got to ask every corporation that's also being asked to sponsor all these events to fork over the money, but they have no time asking sales you know asking the community to pay a sales tax for a museum or again a soccer stadium or and I think we need to think creatively on how to in the new world of the new economy of as the world moves more and more digital, the value of human experience, the free thinkers and the creatives are going to be the one that thrive in a new economy. And we need to fund those ideas.
3: I agree
1: wholeheartedly. And that's what, I, I feel what, need, what needs to be done with Blink and hopefully
2: um, someone, you know, picks that up and yeah. runs with it. Are there struggles getting the funding? I, mean, I, I wouldn't say... I would say people would be lining up to...
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, it's... You, know, you shouldn't it's, have You shouldn't to. have to, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it's... It's – I feel you shouldn't have to. I mean we have – like there's kids in all these area high schools of all different backgrounds building little things that go into a a parade. That The whole community comes in together and there's thousands of kids that walk in the parade with these little light things that they made at six, seven, eight years old. And we got to rely on Tide to pay for that? Yeah. Like – Yeah. I get – yeah. Like they're not going to sell detergent off of that. Like they're making – it attracts people – talent to move to this city that want to complement and help build the businesses or work here right like um uh, to me uh, you know sports is like a check on the box i mean i'm a huge sports fan as i know you are josh but every city's got that not every city has blank and we can own that and we can be we can be the future city if we look at ways to fund creative initiatives that are of are of art and culture that is you know even art and culture is getting disrupted it's not in the 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 museums or galleries anymore it's like out for the public to take and experience and i think we have an opportunity to be a forward-thinking city by helping find funding initiatives for that
3: so what is so when you say future city outside of the art and experience what what other things do you see that would help us qualify as a future city. Of like, what other stuff would you like to see happen here?
1: Um, well, I mean, you've got the, the tech startup hub, you know, and we're obviously becoming very known for, for centrifuge and some of the technology. And uh, anybody watched the, did you, I know you probably did the Joe Rogan, Elon Musk. I haven't
3: wa- I've watched yeah, a little yeah.
2: bit of it. There, did you I watch the whole thing?
1: There. Yeah. Was that not fascinating? Did you want to
2: smoke weed? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, you know, that was the thing that everyone talks about at the end. But if you watch yeah. the
1: whole thing, and, like, what he talked about, about AI, and he said a line in there that I'd rather be a optimist and be wrong than be a pessimist and be right about technology. And the hmm. idea that, like, AI can actually be a good thing, and maybe it could help, you know, cure hunger or homelessness or fixed social issues or fix water machine, problems, yeah. right? And he made a good point about that, like, I'd rather be an optimist than a pessimist, and I'd rather be wrong and be an optimist than be right and be a pessimist. So... I believe there's this intersection between art, creativity, talent, technology that, I mean, obviously any future city is going to be, mm-hmm. you know, is going to have a technological advance. I don't think the future city, our buildings aren't going to change too much. You know, they're they're not going to tear them you know, all down, although we've tear, torn them ones down in the past. Yeah. Um, I don't think in 25, 50 years the makeup of the city is going to look much different. But I think the technology and how we treat one another as humans – obviously and hopefully I have optimism will be different.
3: Right. And I've, you know, and to further that point, I feel like that we need a different mentality of the people that are our age, like the business owners that are coming up through the city to not be okay with being the city that's 10 years behind the rest of the world. That's what we were told forever. Right. I feel like it was like a badge of honor of like, you know, things don't change around here and we like that, you know, but I don't know how many times I've heard that Cincinnati was supposed to be Chicago, but they were we, so... We
1: bet on the steamboat, not the railroad. Right. Right? And we're this... still battling transportation today. I mean, we're, we're you know, yeah. the thing didn't go to UC to bring kids downtown? like Yeah. It
2: yeah. <laughs> just goes in a little loop-de-loop. Yeah, I mean... I, I, With traffic. Even stops at stoplights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> and you got
1: a beautiful <laughs> Union Terminal, and I, I it takes me 12 hours to take a train ride to Chicago. And there's a train that comes in. Downtown, take you to Chicago, 12 hours, ride a train. Wow. I, mean, if I got, if i got a, you know, something to do for 12 hours, but I can drive there in six. Like, we can't get a train to Chicago? Yeah. I, I mean, you just think of, like, it tells you a little bit. The I histories. think it's
3: more that Chicago isn't really trying to get a train to hurry up and get people to Cincinnati. Yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but they might over to Pittsburgh, right? You're hearing that, and then once you connect Pittsburgh to Cincinnati. Once you connect Chicago to Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh to Philadelphia, then you're connected to the whole East Coast, and we're going to miss out on that. You know, it'll go through Columbus to Pittsburgh up to Chicago. At least that's what. So who's that on? Who 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 needs to have have a
3: different attitude to make that
1: change? (laughs) Well, you know, we're a big rubber. You know, there's a lot of rubber factories up north in in the auto industry that's got a lot of lobbyists that. That's a, like that's
3: just well, stuff
0: you never think about you yeah. know what I mean well, not, we're not the only ones though in Orlando yeah. they were going to build a, a train to go from the airport down the four right into Kissimmee like that and Disney said nope yep.
1: well, they got Case one to take you to Miami <laughs> yeah they so. got one you want now that takes you to Miami yeah along the turnpike
0: but, um, yeah, that's, I mean, there's there's just interests that, you know, are counter Isn't that counter- crazy to... that we're talking about, like, ways to uh, increase train travel? No, 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 no. <laughs>
2: well, I remember going, like, in high school, we went to France, well, and we got on the TGV.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, it's like, what, 200-mile-an-hour yeah. train? And this was in the 90s. Yeah. Th-
0: these kids, I used to talk to my old podcast that was a football podcast, and they were football fan, American football fans. They lived in Birmingham, England. They, every year, would go to the NFL game. Get on a train in Birmingham, go down to central London, go to the game, come home. Sorted.
2: Yeah. No, yeah.
0: didn't worry about a car. They couldn't even, I think they were like 15 and 16. They didn't even have driver's licenses. Yeah. So they go halfway yeah. across their country. Now, I know that's it's a much bigger country, but it's like if I would go from here to Cleveland, you know, how convenient would that be get on the train go up and see yeah. the Indians come back down done I know you yeah. commute every day I would man <laughs> season
3: <some> tickets <laughs> yep. what other stuff is there anything in other cities you've been to recently that you're like I want to bring that here
1: no I think that there's um, yeah, I, I'm secret or not I think the going back to the creative class I think there's a, a real need you, you've got these co-working spaces that you're seeing that are kind of popping up for like the gig economy we work a lot of people with the gig economy I think there's a need for a audio, video, and production space that's like a co-working space that has, you know, green screens and editing rooms and rooms to do podcasts and ways for y- young individuals to create content. And instead of, you know, paying to have a desk to sit at, I pay to use resources of video, photography, audio, recording. There's not a studio space that's what I would say... Um, Reverse, you know, you got to book space to go record, versus having a place. I'm a member. I can use the, the 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 production facilities yeah. as needed. I think it's a huge opportunity here. Something that you know, is no that, secret.
3: I was gonna say is, it, and you're, would that just be like high end equipment? Because I feel like one of the things that that I like in in terms of the little bit of like video or audio production I do is. And I think even if you look at Cincinnati and the jobs it was able to compete with a long time, if you wanted to produce a TV show or a movie, it had to be in New York really because right. that's where the equipment was. And if you wanted it to look a certain way, you know that's where the equipment was. Whereas now, like, you don't need on the your iPad. iPhone. You can yeah. video edit, take 4K.
1: But I think know. if you if you create an environment where those like minded people are coming and interacting, and it has the assets there, you know to help, and it's set up where you can get a good. You know, recording and then there's get nothing those like light. that
3: here right now. Anything if you can is, think of? No,
1: no. Totally. It just seems like a no brainer. Yep.
0: You know.
2: You know, there's so many coffee shops and Wi Fi. Well, that's that was, about all. There so was a movie
0: studio where um, the casino was now. Mm-hmm. Before it was before baseball, and Broadway was proposed. They were going to build a little mini studio, and the, I interviewed the lady for, for Cincinnati Magazine. And she said, Yeah, they thought I was insane. And now all these movies are coming here to film. And how convenient would have been not only to have you to shoot the exteriors in town, but have sound stages you could go to yep. to shoot the interiors. Now you're you're a crazy lady. And now, of course, yeah, they, Atlanta. But as think about these startups. Yes, yes.
1: You know, a little place, you don't need a big Midwest light and grip freaking psych wall. Yeah. A little psych where you can do f- product photos. You can come in for an hour, 30 minutes. And you got the lighting kind of rigged for you. And you can kind of create it how you want. Yeah, you might take it on your iPhone, but you can still. Yeah. And I and I just think that once you start pulling those creatives together and they start n- networking, and then the brands can plug into that, right? Like everybody's got their portfolio. That's yeah. a that's a um, like I'm a you know I'm an editor. I'm am a shooter. Here's my portfolio. And then when a brand wants to shoot, they they have this access to these members, just like the tech startup hub, right? Like you got all these programmers and engineers. Well, where's the where's the videographers, the audio recorders, the engineers, the where are they going as a hub that they can have their space to use and create content because content is actually it is the base of marketing and advertising as well um just think it's a huge that would be a project that i would i would work on and have have passion for and we've talked about for a long time
3: okay. i love that, that that our conversation ended up here and uh, began uh, people diving into inflatable pools full of horse manure <laughs>
2: yeah. we didn't even hit on danger wheel oh yeah but anyway, that's amazing too. Yeah. Is that something else that, and Ubon Fest? Yeah, I mean, you guys have done so much. Well, not that, even. Uh, I mean, it all you've also got like flyers on cars. That's right.
3: Well, you yeah. got the 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 over the Rhine that everybody knows, but then you go to like the Pendleton. You know, yep. you know,
1: Andrew's been huge in that. Yeah, all of his. He's doing. He's got more restaurants and bars that are successful that I never had. <laughs> you know, hmm. you know, I had ones we had to get in and get out quick. And he's got he's, – his team, man, they're doing a great job. But they're not they're just
3: they're not just taking over someone's old space with a new idea. They're in places where that thing never even existed. And right. that's what's the most impressive to me.
1: Yep. Pioneer, right? Like from Simon Kinn. That's right. <laughs> Pioneer. <laughs> yep. So,
3: so. so how can people – you know, if there's businesses out there that want to look into the services you guys provide or just follow all the cool stuff you're doing, activations or
1: experiences,
3: like how can people
1: – uh the agar.com so um that and then i think it's uh agar agency on all twitter you know facebook instagram what
3: about you specifically
1: How you know i've done a social media cleanse i haven't posted in 2019 and i've taken everything off my phone with the exception of instagram to toggle
2: Yeah. Just, wow How is how's it? it been it's been amazing <laughs> yeah
1: yeah i'm just too much clutter man i don't, I, I don't want to hear people bickering and you don't it's, need it for work, you know. It's a it's a bat. am I'm I'm. I'm it, there's part of me that like I want to be very active on social. Like I battle this. I actually like I'm ready to just come out and start posting again and telling a story. But I'm a, I'm a believer that I think a lot of true influencers are leaving the network. Right. I think I think they're moving to other other channels. Um, I think if you're a paid influencer and you have a large audience that you're getting paid to facilitate, you're going to continue to do that. But the rise of a new influencer through that means, I think a lot of true business influencers are leaving it for back to real conversations and, you know, real content. Um, I want to go see a show. I want to go interact with content and meet. You know, I think you're going to see a rise of music and in, in instruments coming back again in a classical form because as things go digital, All there will always be digital programming and engineering, but I think kids are going to start picking up Clarinets and trombones and string, and string instrument and get very intimate and physical again. That's kind of my thing that I'm on right now. So as of 2019, I've yet to post anything on social media.
2: I, I check it, it out I of did fear. Not hit a blunt, just then, too, I will let, let our listeners know. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah, no, I, I hope you're right. That would be, that'd be nice to cleanse the world of all that
1: clutter, or just take like a break it. from it. Right? Maybe yeah. I'll come back to it, but. You know, I check my Facebook out of fear, like did someone comment something on my wall or you know, you check it once every two weeks to to look, see what it commented on, but yeah. I haven't posted anything, I haven't taken it all off my phone and it just I feel like I can focus on work and like not be distracted by like noise that's it not very be, inspiring.
3: Sounds like an old man <laughs> 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 Sounds
2: like the old man at the at the company. Um, uh,
3: so we ask our guests to give us a code, um a word that people can use to save 20% on their order until the next episode comes out. So if you were going to give a, a code or a word out, what would you want that to be?
1: Uh, I would just go with Agar. Agar. A-G-A-R. Yep.
3: A-G-A-R. So right. type in Agar on our website uh, for the next week. It'll save you 20%. And uh, you can also use that at any of our three locations, Over the Rhine, Hyde Park, and Loveland
1: mentioned agar. You'll okay. save twenty percent on. Uh, and just to add, it's amazing business what you guys have have done here, in a very physical form. Right, that like people see it and they have an emotional or reaction to what they see when somebody. And I want that, right? Like that's that's you're you're creating a message in a physical space. It's a lot about what we talked about. It's not a post or a or or a tweet. You've got to physically see it on some. Where'd you get that? word of okay. it mouth since shirts of course right well that's, yeah, that's top of mind relevant topics that's, so that's, right. that's we, what
3: ours. I mean we're see, we've, we reminisced right out of the gate you know and um, we noticed that from when we opened our, our store in over the Rhine on a three month lease is wasn't just uh, you know it wasn't just a shirt that would look cool on somebody it was people walking in our door and going oh my gosh look at this I remember my dad worked here I worked there yeah. I used to go there as a kid you know whatever it was that emotion that just seeing something evokes like we would never experience that if we were just still just an online company like every day people come in and they're just like man this is memory lane for us it's awesome you get it thanks man thank you guys yeah
0: Josh user. If you're out partying around the turn of the century or thereabouts, you probably have Josh to thank for that, and also if you enjoyed, I guess, Blink and Luminosity, thank Josh as well. If you haven't already, go back and plunder the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. Lots of great episodes back there. Matt Bischoff from Survivor, Gold Star Chili CEO Roger David, Bill obedient he's the guy that founded Bunbury Music Festival, Greg Hamilton off of WWE, John Keysweater talking about TV, actress Amy Yazbeck, tons and tons of great episodes back there, and uh, Moeger, Cash Wright, uh, some of the early episodes, Haunted Cincinnati, Abandoned Cincinnati, very popular, and and if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, drop us an email info at Cincy shirts and put podcast guest and the subject line. It'll find its way to me uh, and we can, and try and book that person. Be sure to tell friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area, but still feel connected in some way. And maybe they went to school here, maybe they used to work here. Today's show is produced by me, with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find their music at iTunes, Spotify, or wherever else you get your music. Find vintage tees from great places like Philadelphia, Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Louisville, Seattle, and more at OldSchoolShirts.com. We have a lot of defunct teams, old shopping centers, old restaurants, old radio stations, uh, like Cincy Shirts, but for those Towns. And in case you missed it, the promo code for this episode is AGAR, A G A R, all one word, of course, all lowercase, all uppercase, a combination of both, doesn't matter. Use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order, or you can use the code in our physical, or as we say, brick and mortar stores, and over the Ryan Hyde Park and Loveland. Follow our social channels Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for the latest Shirts news. Download or stream us next time. Bye!